You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, I want to start out today by telling you a story I heard about two preachers that grew up together. Uh, One was a black preacher and one was a white preacher, and they argued Ever since they'd gotten into ministry their whole lives, they'd had one contention with each other. They'd argued about whether Jesus was white or Jesus was black. Hang in there. Okay, some of y'all are nervous already. You're like, oh no, we're starting right out the gate. Okay, oh no. And of course, the the black preacher's like, Jesus has got to be black. I know he was. And the white preacher's like, no, he was absolutely white. Well, as fate would have it, they both died on the same day. They get up to the pearly gates. They're standing outside heaven. When they first both see St. Peter, they say, you got to settle something between us. We've been fussing about this for years. Is Jesus white or is he black? About that time, Jesus walks up and he says, buenos dias. Is it too soon? Is it too soon? (laughs) We get caught up in a lot of superficial things about Jesus, don't we? Was he white? Was he black? Where exactly did he live? Different things like that. Where exactly did this take place? But as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we're learning about some of the most important things. And it's not, is Jesus white? Is it black? It's what did Jesus believe? What did he teach us about the word? Today, is going to be a little bit of a deep dive as we begin a section of Scripture uh, within the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to give us a full interpretation of some of the Old Testament law. Uh, Over the next several weeks, we're going to see Jesus correct some common misconceptions that people were teaching and people were believing about some of the Ten Commandments and some of the law. You're going to hear him do this when he starts out these teachings every single week over the next six weeks with, you've heard that it was said, but I say that may be familiar. And we're getting into what's known as the six great antitheses that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount that really explain how we're supposed to live out the Beatitudes that Pastor Branham preached on in week one, and how, how, like, how do we really applicationally be salt and light that we talked about last week? What Jesus is going to do is he starts this, this passage within the Sermon on the Mount where he teaches this, and in verses 17 through 20, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to pick up right where we left off of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus starts by connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament for us. What he really does is in these three verses, we're going to see him make the connection between the Old Testament law that the Jews he was preaching to followed and the New Testament gospel that completed the law. We're going to see him do this in two ways. He's going to talk about the Old Testament or the connection of the law to Jesus first, and then he's going to get specific about the connection of the law or the Old Testament to every single one of us. So let's start in verse 17, Matthew chapter 5. Y'all with me? Say, I am. 
He starts by saying this. Let's look at this first verse and then we'll stop and just do what we always do. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So point number one, Jesus was not opposed to the law. When he refers to the law or the prophets, this was a nickname. Uh, in biblical times, for the entirety of the Old Testament. So anytime you see someone in the New Testament refer to the law and the prophets, think Old Testament. See, Jesus came to this earth, and when he started his earthly ministry, he started teaching and preaching things that no one had ever heard before. He started doing things that no one had ever seen before. Interestingly enough, there are two miracles that take place before the Sermon on the Mount, and both of the miracles took place on the Sabbath day. This blew people's minds because they were taught, you don't even blow a candle out on the Sabbath day or you are sinning. And here Jesus comes saying things, doing things that had never been seen and never been heard. And the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, had started a rumor about him saying, well, Jesus doesn't follow the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't believe the Old Testament is legitimate. Jesus is, in fact, sinning. When it refers to the law, let me give you a little bit of a background on what they're talking about and the connection that Jesus would make because the hearers that he's preaching to understood what he was talking about. But 2,000 years later, we get kind of mixed up in this. The law is what's known as the 613 Levitical laws that are found in the Old Testament. Or they were the rules to follow and the ordinances that were given in the Old Testament. Now, let me just summarize this by telling you what one theologian says about the law. He says this, The law is God's perfect standard of obedience and holiness as described in these commands in the Old Testament. The law is the sum total of God's requirements and expectations for man's behavior, words, and attitude, and to turn aside from them or rebel against them is sin. Now hang on to what I just said, because if it seems complicated, by the end of this passage today, this is all going to make sense. I do want to point this out about the law, because sometimes we can get into the Old Testament, we get kind of confused. And we hear people argue about, well, the Bible's not real because it tells you in the Old Testament not to wear wool blend suits. And it, you know, this stuff about being gay doesn't, you know, apply uh, because that's Old Testament. There's 613 laws. Some of them are weird. There's two categories of laws in the Old Testament. There's what's known as the moral law that's found in the Old Testament. Think like Ten Commandments. And then there's what's known as ceremonial laws. And that would be things like sacrifices you needed to make. Well, to make a long story short, because Jesus came and we're under the new covenant, we no longer have to follow the ceremonial laws. In other words, when you come to church, you don't have to kill a bull or kill a couple of turtle doves. And you don't have to follow those ceremonial laws. But we are still under the moral laws. You're going to see over the next six weeks as he teaches on some of these moral laws. We, we, it's not okay to murder somebody. It's not okay to commit adultery on your wife. Think like Ten Commandments. We're still under those, but when it comes to the ceremonial laws, we no longer follow those. That'll become kind of important in the future as well. So God's law is perfect, but here's the problem. Our interpretation of God's law is not always perfect. See, the scribes and the Pharisees of the day, the religious leaders, they were 
teaching things and interpreting things in a way that will weigh off what God meant when He gave us the Old Testament. They were so off, in fact, that they had created extra-biblical laws, some 1,500 laws on top of the 613 found in the Old Testament. There were 1,500 what they called fence laws or pharisaical laws. And the idea behind a fence law is it puts a fence around you so you won't break one of the laws of Scripture. And they were very legalistic about this. Uh, We see that in churches today, fence laws. Uh, For some people, maybe some of these things are wisdom and a good idea, but for others, they're not. Okay, uh, something like uh, you've heard preachers in, in on platforms like this before maybe tell you nobody should ever watch TV ever, ever, ever. Well, for some people, that's a good idea not to watch TV for whatever reason, maybe getting rid of the TV, cutting off your left arm. We'll see that in a few weeks, right, is a good thing. But that doesn't apply to everybody. If you watch TV in here, you're not sinning. In other words, Look at your neighbor and say, whew, you know. And so this amounted to legalism that was being taught to people. And for our definition today, legalism is unnecessary rules or laws for most people to follow. If you want an in-depth view of legalism, we went through the book of Galatians about two years ago, verse by verse. Go back and watch that series and it'll tell you exactly what legalism is. So the Old Testament law had been misinterpreted and added to by the teachers of the day. And they had missed the mark. They were teaching something that sort of looked like the law and had sparks of the law in it, but missed the entire mark of what God meant. It's kind of like a If you read about snipers in the military or people that compete at the Olympics, they'll tell you when they're 100, 200 yards out and they're trying to shoot a target, if they're off just a millimeter, like a fraction of a millimeter, they'll completely miss the target that they're trying to hit. This is what was happening in Jesus' day. And he was teaching them that the Old Testament law, he was not opposed to it, that they had just missed the mark. So Jesus, one of the things he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount, among several other things, is he is correcting bad teaching and correcting wrong thinking about the scriptures that had been given. The other thing Jesus is pointing out here is the simple fact that all scripture points to Jesus. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, the entirety of the Bible is all about Jesus. Have you guys ever listened to a song that sounded really good and you liked it? And then later, it maybe even years later, you found out that that song was about something that you weren't on board with. You ever done that before? I was listening to that song by the police, uh, Every Breath You Take. Where's my 80s people at? Y'all know that song, Every Breath You Take? And I was literally sitting there with my daughter, and I was like, man, I like this song. It's really, really good. It's a love song about how he loves a girl. And she's like, uh, no, it's not. It's about a stalker, Dad. And I was like, what? Every breath you take, every move you make, I will be watching. Oh, man, what in the world? Tom Jones, Ella Fitzgerald sang a Christmas song. Y'all know the one I'm talking about? 
And I love it. It sounds so good. Until I listen to the lyrics one day and she's like, what'd you put in this drink? And I'm like, is this about drugging her so he could take advantage of her? What? What a messed up Christmas song. To reference Meet the Parents, Puff the Magic Dragon. Y'all thought it was a kid's song. No, it's about getting high and smoking weed. God made the grass and it was good, right? I mean, why not? You know, Just kidding. That's a joke, okay? Do not leave here today saying, I say that joke all the time. It's old to some of y'all. But don't leave here today saying, Pastor Josh said it's okay to get stoned. This is what the people had been dealing with. They read the law. They think it's about one thing, but it's actually about another. They think it's all about them, but it's all about Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. In other words, the Old Testament scriptures found their intended goal and purpose in the life and ministry of Jesus. James Boyce puts it this way. I couldn't find a better quote. And this really summarizes several things that I would need to go over, but for time's sake, I'm not going to. He says, the Bible is all about Jesus, and he is its fulfillment in all ways. He fulfills the moral law by his obedience, the prophecies by the specifics of his life, and the sacrificial system, those ceremonial laws, by his once and for all atonement. Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of the law, or in other words, he filled up the law. Think of it like this way. If you had a big glass and you filled that glass up with ice, many people would look at that glass and say, that glass is full. And that's what the people were doing in Jesus' day. The Old Testament is the ice in the glass. But Jesus came along and he's living water. And he poured into the glass and filled in all the nooks and crannies to where the glass was totally full for real. And so, so this is what Jesus is saying is, I didn't come to repeal the law, I came to complete it. Jesus came as the Son of God to complete what had previously been delivered in bits and pieces by the Old Testament prophets. Or in other words, Jesus brought to fruition what the Old Testament pointed to. As one theologian puts, the Old Testament law finds its valid continuity in the outworking of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a whole bunch of scripture. Hopefully, you got your notepads and you got your phones out ready to take notes because let's just reference this with several places throughout scripture. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. They all point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Luke 24, he said to them, how foolish you are now and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in other words, the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All pointed to Jesus. Luke 24 again, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Romans chapter 10, Paul says, Christ is the culmination of the law. In other words, 
The entire Old Testament is all about Jesus, points to Jesus, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Pastor Brandon used an example uh, from a show that I think is pretty funny called The Office in week number one. Anybody in here watch The Office? Raise your hand. Anybody in here? Are y'all afraid to say it? There's got to be more people that watch The Office. It's one of the most popular shows ever, okay? You're like, I don't want anybody to know, you know? And so, uh, but there's this Christmas episode where Dwight is getting pieces sent to him of a gift from his secret Santa. And he can't figure out what the gift is. And somebody suggests to him, maybe you're supposed to put it together, put all these pieces together, and throughout the whole thing, he's like, is it a gun? Is it this? Is it that? And he doesn't figure it out until the ending scene of this episode, his secret Santa, Michael Scott, his boss, shows up, gives him the last piece of this gift, and he finally puts it together and realizes it's a mechanism for him to crank where he can crush nuts or whatever else. And he's quoted as saying this, oh man, I can use this for so many nuts, macadamias, Brazil nuts, pecans, almonds, clams, snails. And if you know Dwight, you know why that's funny. What happened when Jesus came is people were trying to piece together this gift of the Scripture. The last piece shows up, and that's Jesus. And they finally put it together, and they go, oh, man, this is what we have today. I can use God's Word for so many things. You're going to see in the next six weeks, it speaks to lust. It speaks to taking oaths. It speaks to adultery. It speaks to marriage. This can be used for so many things. This is what happened when Jesus came because all Scripture points to Jesus and is about Jesus. Finally, in this verse, I need to say this. What Jesus affirmed about the Old Testament, He promised about the New Testament. What He affirms about the Old Testament here, He promises about the New Testament. Listen to John 16. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now hear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal the New Testament to us, and the Holy Spirit is only communicating what Jesus has communicated to him. So so the New Testament has the same authority as the Old Testament. The New Testament is all about Jesus and points to Jesus just like the Old Testament. Makes sense to everybody? Say amen. Let's get into the next verse, verse 18. Y'all with me? Say I am. He continues and says, For truly I tell you, and we're still on the connection of the law to Jesus, so listen to what he says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. I love when Jesus says, for truly I tell you, and honestly, you're going to see this phrase over the next six weeks as we go through every one of these uh, things, but uh, I like the way the King Jimmy version puts it. It doesn't say, for truly I tell you. It says, verily, verily, and I just like that. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, verily, 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 verily. Yeah, y'all really excited about that. Find somebody else around you and say, verily, verily. Make it awkward. Make it somebody you don't know. Verily, verily. It's a weird saying. See it six more times after this. 
When Jesus says, verily, verily, it's as if he's putting his personal signature on what he's saying. So in this instance, Jesus is putting his personal signature on the reliability of Scripture. He says, until heaven and earth disappear, this authority will remain on God's word. What that literally means is, until the end of the earth as we know it. He says, until everything is accomplished, when all the end time stuff takes place, Jesus comes back, he rules and reigns, one time we're in glory, then we will no longer need God's word and that authority. But until then, it holds this authority. I cannot stress this enough, that Jesus uses the strongest possible language to affirm the reliability of Scripture. Jesus uses the strongest possible language to affirm the truthfulness of all of Scripture. In fact, John 17, 17, what was Jesus quoted as saying? As saying, your word is truth. H.C.G. Mole puts it this way. Listen to what he says. Jesus absolutely trusted the Bible. And though there are in it things inexplicable and intricate that have puzzled me so much, I am going, not in a blind sense, but reverently to trust the book because of him. Take heart, Christian, this weekend. You don't understand all the ins and outs of the Bible. You get kind of confused when you go to the Old Testament, you read the book of Numbers. You start to kind of question your faith when you do that. Well, trust it because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ trusted it. Trust it and know its truth because Jesus clearly affirms the reliability and the truthfulness of the Old Testament and the New Testament. After this, Jesus gets into the connection of the law to every single human being. Look what he says in verse 19. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. As it pertains to us, Jesus says two things, and they're really simple. All scriptures should be obeyed, and all scriptures should be taught. In other words, we don't pick and choose what we want based on culture. We don't pick and choose what we want based on our own feelings or emotions. All scripture is to be obeyed. All scripture is to be taught. When it comes to all scripture being obeyed, listen to just a few verses that back up exactly what Jesus is saying. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commands. When he refers to my commands, he's talking about the totality of Scripture. You will follow God's Word and do the best you can to follow what God tells us to do through His Word. John 15, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, we know what we have come to know. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. So once again, let me just reiterate this. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do anything that's antithetical to what Scripture tells you to do. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Am I supposed to have sex before I'm married? But I love them. Well, Scripture tells you not to. Am I stepping on toes? I don't know. How should I run this part of my life? This is what I want to do. Well, the Holy Spirit's not leading you to do that because Scripture 
it's going to line up exactly with what Scripture says. Also, keep this in mind, just a little side note. One of the benefits we have in the New Testament, one of the great things that we have under the New Covenant, is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. And so I told you a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Pride Month and how do you stand up to people and how do you pray for people? When do you know to talk? When do you know to be quiet? How do you know when to, when to minister to people and not minister to people and just serve them? What do you do? Do you stand on a corner and shout at them or do you just pray for them and wash their feet? What do you do? you got to walk in the Spirit. See, the Old Testament gave all these laws and tried to give specifics on do this, 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 and this. But now we walk in the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit fill us up and lead us and guide us. And so I can't give you specifics in every single situation. You've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and listen to the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 3, one more. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. You know, i got a bunch of weird examples today, so y'all just hang with me because I feel like the Scripture really just speaks for itself. So I'm just trying to give you things that will kind of Uh, figuratively and metaphorically relate to exactly what Jesus is saying. But has anybody in here ever seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Raise your hand. You ever seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding? One of the best movies ever. If you haven't seen that, are you even American, even though it's about Greeks? I don't know. You know what I mean? Great movie. Awesome movie. Go watch it today. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I love it. I quote it all the time. My favorite character from that movie is the dad, Gus. He's so awesome. Well, Gus does this weird thing. Every time... Gus has a pimple, a rash, an itch, or anything on his skin. Y'all that have seen it, what does he put on it? Windex. Put some Windex on it. Put some Windex on it. In that movie, Gus believes that Windex could fix any ailment and that it was sufficient for whatever ailed someone on their skin. This is why we obey Scripture. Because we believe that Scripture to our lives is like Windex to a skin condition. <laughs> is everybody with me? I hope I'm holding your attention this weekend at least, you know? Oh, oh, this will fix whatever ails me. You're depressed, go to God's Word. You're struggling, go to God's Word. You're trying to make a decision in your life, go to God's Word. You're trying to break free from a sin, you go to God's Word and it'll lead you and guide you. We obey Scripture. Secondly, and this is the harder point that I just have to be honest with you guys about and truthful with you about, I'm not trying to judge anybody. We just believe the Bible here and we're teaching verse by verse through this. All Scripture should be taught. In other words, when it comes to the sources of preaching and teaching that you're listening to, whether it's on a Sunday morning like in this context, YouTube videos, tapes that you listen to. Who listens to tapes anymore, man? I I referenced an 80s song. That must be why I'm saying that. But like, you know, who even listens to CDs anymore? Y'all know what I mean? But But whoever it is you're listening to that you're under as far as teaching, you need to make sure that all Scripture is being taught. Or as Paul put it in Acts chapter 20, the whole counsel of God is being taught. 
not shying away from certain issues because culturally they may open up a can of worms, not standing on the soapboxes of political agendas and different things like that and abusing certain issues, but the whole counsel of God is being taught. If your company came to you that you work for and told you, we're going to give you a $50,000 a year raise, and here's what you have to do. You're going to go to a class for the next two or three months and take a test at the end of the class. And if you pass this test and make 100 on it, we're going to give you $50,000 more a year. Every single person in here, number one, you'd get really excited and you would be incredibly motivated to go kill this class. You'd go to that class, boy, you'd be having your note-taking stuff out then, wouldn't you? And your phone out, and you'd be recording it, and you'd be going over it, and you'd be memorizing it. But if at the end of the class, you took the test, and you got your score back on that test, and found out you only made 50% as a score, and you failed, and then you found out that the teacher of the class was only teaching you half of the curriculum, and that's the reason you failed, you would be furious. What we're talking about here is a lot more important than $50,000 a year. It's a lot more important than your job. This is about your life. And so you need to make sure that you have someone that is teaching you God's Word in its full capacity. Now, I'm not bragging on us and saying that we're great or anything. I'm not judging other churches that don't do this, but this is why we believe at this church it is wisdom to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. It's incredible how many people come to me. I had someone that came to me that was one of our senior saints in between last service and this service and said, man, I thought I knew a lot about the Bible, but when I got here, again, not patting ourselves on the back, we steal it all from Scripture. Y'all know what I mean? It's, it's not us. Okay, we're not great, but they're like, I've learned so much since being here in the last year or two. Why? Because we go verse by verse. We teach the whole counsel of God. We take large passages of Scripture or books of the Bible, and we teach verse by verse through them. We don't skip nothing. We try to do at least one Old Testament book a year, at least one New Testament book a year, and 90 to 95% of the time, that's what we do here at this church. And I would encourage you that that's what you should look for. I would encourage you that when you teach your kids, you make sure you're teaching all of God's Word. Not just the, the, there's about 50 verses that everybody can kind of recite. And they're great verses. But almost every sermon is on those verses. It quotes those verses. Every graphic somebody posts on social media, every bumper sticker has those verses. And those are great, but you need the whole counsel of God. Men in here, when you're leading your families, whole counsel of God. You're not just focusing on, I can do anything, Christ that gives me strength. Great verse of Scripture. You need to go beyond that. Does that make sense to everybody? Everybody say amen. Because it applies to a whole lot more than your bench press. This is life for us. You need to be very careful who you're listening to. Because there are those that teach the Word of God that don't teach the whole Word of God. I hate to name drop, but one of the most popular pastors in America, Andy Stanley, is a perfect example of what he's talking about here. I got nothing personally against Andy Stanley, but a few years ago, he came out and said, we need to unhitch ourselves from, that's his quote, unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. This is what Jesus 
is speaking to. Thomas Jefferson cut every part of the Bible out except the red letters that Jesus said. And I don't know how he did that. He must have cut this scripture out too, where Jesus is extremely clear that that's not what you do. You take the totality of scripture. And, and, and just as a side note, like Andy Stanley now, it appears he's down with pride. He's leaning towards woke. And so that's what you get when you don't take the totality of scriptures. Everybody with me? Say amen. He continues in verse 20, and he closes it down with this verse, and I love that he uses this verse. This pertains to us, how the law connects to every single one of us. Look what he says. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is now really answering a question, who is good enough to get to heaven through their works. He's speaking to an audience that understands and is making the connection to the first verses when he talks about the Pharisees and he's saying, the Pharisees, which are the people that follow all the 613 Levitical laws that are found in Scripture to the T, and they follow over 1,500 Pharisaical laws connected to those laws, to the T, in other words, they're the best of the best. They're the ones that never mess up. Jesus says, unless you're better than them, you can't get into heaven. So you, so you better hope that like you didn't eat a slice of bacon. You didn't uh, turn a light on on Saturday accidentally touch a dead body of an animal. These are Levitical laws because the Pharisees don't do any of that stuff and they're not getting into heaven on their own. And unless you're better than they are, you're not getting in on your own. When it comes to the Old Testament law and what we've talked about today, it can be very confusing. And if we're honest, especially in this culture, the enemy has done a phenomenal job at making people think that the Old Testament law doesn't apply today, especially those moral laws. Because you read it and you go, 613 laws, which ones do I take serious? And this is where the ceremonial versus the moral comes into play. But you need to understand that when it comes to the Old Testament law, it was never meant to get people into heaven. What it was meant to do was to point out to people their need for a Savior. Look at Romans chapter 3. It says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world, here's a very important phrase, held accountable to God. Therefore, listen to this, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Some of y'all been taught and some of y'all think, I'm good enough. I've really cleaned my life up compared to who I used to be. 
the number one response you get when you ask people, do you believe in heaven? And they say yes. Why are you going there? Because I'm a good person. That ain't going to work, y'all. Listen to Galatians chapter 3. Why then was the law given? You ever thought that, right? Why, why, Why did God give us this law? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. I wonder who that's about. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and people. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. You're in here, you're like, man, I hadn't broke nothing. I mean, I've messed up a little. I ain't murdered nobody. I've done a few things that are wrong, but never really been a bad person. I'm so glad you said that because you know that book of the Bible we just went through, the book of James, verse by verse? James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Just one thing you do wrong. Tell one lie. Struggle with pride just a little bit. May as well have done them all. I'm not telling you go out of here and just go have fun and do whatever you want to do, okay? I'm not saying that. You just break one. I got two kids, and I've noticed this about kids. You don't have to teach them how to lie. I've done a lot of marriage counseling, and I've noticed you don't have to teach husbands and wives how to lie. You don't have to teach kids how to be selfish. We're all sinners. And if that doesn't cover you, the Old Testament law speaks about unknown sins. There's sacrifices they had to make because there was stuff they did wrong and they didn't even realize they did it wrong. I love this verse. You know why? Because what's our tagline on every single one of our radio commercials? What do we have printed on the doors outside? What do we put on the t-shirts at Revolution Church? Ten years ago when we started this church, what were we founded on? The simple phrase, no. This is one of the scriptures for the reasons why we did that. For all the people in churches that try to act like they got it together and everything's perfect, and everything's great, and how big a hypocrites we all are. We're all hypocrites. We all fake it. The reality is none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. No perfect people allowed. Does that mean Jesus isn't allowed at your church? Shut up, you idiot. You know what I mean? Like, stand, dude. Oh, you're so smart. <laughs> What does that mean? If I have the righteousness of Christ, I can't come to your church? Shut up, you legalistic jerk. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying. You know what we mean. Dead religion, man. You know what I mean? Criticism, slander. That's what that is. 
You know what we mean. There's only one perfect one. There's only one person that was better than the Pharisees. That is Jesus Christ. Emphatic teaching that Jesus is giving here that no one is perfect. There is nothing you can do that will make you good enough to go to heaven. So the process is not, let me get my life straight, then I'll start going to church, and then I'll get right with God. The process is, you get right with God, and He straightens your life out. The Pharisees had strict obedience to the law. But strict obedience to the law is not what is required to be saved. Making Jesus Lord of your life is what saves you. Now let me back that up by saying, once you meet Jesus and He does save you, then because you're changed on the inside, the outward things will start to change. And the difference that Jesus is speaking to is that in the Old Testament and what the people were being taught was, you better be good so God will love you. You better follow these rules so you can get into heaven. What Jesus teaches is grace. And it's not, I better do this so God will love me and follow what the Bible says. It's, I'm going to do this because God saved me. It's a totally different way of thinking. I'm going to offer my body. The least I can do is offer my body as a living sacrifice. Not so Jesus will accept me and I'll get into heaven because Jesus died for a wretch like me. What's amazing, Grace? Saved a wretch like me and I can't believe it. So I'm going to do the best I can to honor him with my life, discover my purpose, make a difference, live for him. Too many of us have bought into legalism. I'm going to do this so, and you need to be set free this weekend. That's not the motivation. It's I'm going to do this because, because God. See, God wants your heart more than he wants your outward deeds. God wants your heart more than he wants you to follow rules. Let me back that up again by saying, once your heart is changed, there will be an intense effort when you experience the love of God to please Him with your life because He saved you. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every person in here. Thank you, God, so much for your word. It leads us. It guides us. Help our church to be stewards over what it is you've given us. I pray that we preach the full counsel of God. Help me not to preach in the flesh and help Pastor Brandon and Jeff, our Rev Men's Coordinator, and Pastor Donovan and anybody in our church that teaches a small group or leads people in any capacity not to get in the flesh, but teach all of your word. God, I, I pray for those people in here that have picked and choosed what they've wanted to follow well, I don't like the way this sounds, so I'm not going to do this with my money. I don't like the way this instructs me, so I'm not going to do this as it pertains to my sexuality. I don't like what the Bible has to say about this, so I'm just going to leave that aside. And I pray, God, that today they experience conviction and they recommit to following what it is you've commanded us to do. I pray for those in here that need freedom. They've been trying to be perfect. 
They've been trying to be better than the Pharisees. I pray, God, today that what is illuminated to them is that there's no way they can be perfect. And I pray, God, that they're set free from a Messiah complex or trying to earn God's love for whatever reason, that instead what they find is rest at the foot of the cross. Rest in the fact that Jesus died for them. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. We love you, Lord. You are awesome and you are mighty. In Jesus' name, everybody said. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.